Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back. We are here again at Life List, a birding podcast. And this is a bit of a new one for us. There are not two, not three, but four of us on this podcast today. Big stuff. I've got Alvaro Jaramillo, Molly Brown, and our guest for today, Julie Zikafus. And before we get going, I wanted to intro Julie a little bit. She is, I feel like, somebody that needs really no introduction. She's been doing bird work for uh, a long time and is very well known nationwide, even outside of birding, to uh, all sorts of folks that that aren't necessarily birders, but just think birds are cool. Julie lives and works in quietly on an 80-acre wildlife sanctuary in the back country of Whipple, Ohio. She's a prolific writer and painter and advising editor to BWD Magazine. She's been blogging regularly since 2005. Her heavily illustrated books include Natural Gardening for Birds, Letters from Eden, the Bluebird Effect, Baby Birds, an Artist Look into the Nest, and my personal favorite, Saving Jemima, Life and Love with a Hard Luck J, the intimate story of how an, infu- an, an orphaned bird can save a soul is her newest book and one of my favorite birds. Her primary motivator is beauty and the love of sharing. Welcome to the show, Julie. How are you doing today? I am so thrilled to, well, since we have uh, video capability, I'm so thrilled to see you guys again, all three of you. It's been way too long and uh, just delighted to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming and talking to us, Julie. This is awesome. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've got a lot on the docket in a fairly short amount of time, it seems like, today. What uh, have you been keeping up to uh, of late? I know you said you've been working out in the yard a bunch. What's... What's happening uh, in Ohio? Well, this morning I had to recharge my battery for my steel weed whacker three times. Each uh, <laughs> charge gives me 45 minutes of pure agony. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, when I first got the thing about two years ago, I, I, I ran out the battery once and I said, I don't think I'm built for this. <laughs> and this time I charged the sucker three times and just kept going. <laughs> It's all about vegetation management right now. It's just about trying not to be covered by vines, you know, if you sit down. This is like an exercise routine, you know, like you build up, like next month you'll be up to five charges and then eight charges. By the time you're like 10, you'll be like, you know, just ready to tackle anything. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like couch to, to, couch to 5K, you know, that, that, little, yeah. uh, that little app. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I see uh, Facebook posts sometimes with like big bull- bulldozery kind of machinery in the in the back, you know. And I'm thinking, what is she up to? You know, like yeah, just settle yeah. down. Uh, I can I can actually hear Bill saying, "What the hell are you doing to our place?" <laughs> he used to kind of like shed a tear every time I asked him to cut down a tree, you know, because he was the chainsaw guy. And now that I have my oh, own right. chainsaw, I don't have to ask anyone's permission. I just do it. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just like angry chainsaw. Like, 
<laughs> you know, get all the frustrations <laughs> out and Pretty come much. back and then write really peaceful stuff about birds, you know, <laughs> online. You know. After you've chainsawed for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, I just I just got a comment on Facebook that was like, it's amazing how such an intense person can write such soothing things. And I thought, wait a minute, am I intense? What? What? <laughs> that made me laugh. I, I do wonder if people see like uh, an active person. Somebody's always busy as being intense. Because I think a lot of people do have a lot of downtime. And I... I always feel like a lot of kind of birder types who are, especially the ones who do this professionally, are, are never have downtime. They're always doing something. They're Or they're picking, oh, I'm going to do moss tonight. You know, I'm going to do the moss thing or I'm doing the gardens or I'm doing this. It's like, and it, it seems intense, yet it's sort of like, what else would you do with your time is right. probably what, what a lot mm-hmm. of us think, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, there's always something to be done. And, and, um, you know, especially when you're maintaining 80 acres. And, you know, I, what, what boggles my mind is like how anybody has time to just sit down and read a book. I mean, who does that? The only only time, the only time I read is when I have to, like, if I have to write a review or something, then I'll just like nail myself down to read it. Yeah. Yeah. It takes me forever. Cause I, you know, like at the end of the day, I just fall asleep. My eyes just slam shut. I'm great at buying books, less good at reading them, it seems like. Gotcha. Stacking is another skill of mine. I think I've listened to more audiobooks and definitely podcasts than I've read books this year. But now I you can you know, you can listen to a podcast or an audiobook while you're out working and doing stuff too. Which mm. now I have like the, the sound dampening uh what, ear AirPods? Um mm-hmm. So if you're out like weed eating or something and you want to block your ears anyway, you might as well listen to a podcast while you're doing it. Oh, there's a thought. Multitasking. (laughs) Multitasking, yeah. While you're doing your therapeutic chainsawing, you can be, you know, listening (laughs) to... uh, yeah. You can be ch- listening to a podcast about multitasking. While multitasking. <laughs> it's very <Yeah>. meta. <laughs> That's the world we're in now, you know, like sort of. Which I never want to do if I can hear birds. But if I'm doing something where I can't hear right. anyway, now now I multitask. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. the thing that, that blows my mind is like, why would you not want to listen to the ambient, you know, bird song? Because that's that's like, mm-hmm. that's the news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I tend not to listen to stuff. Unless, you know, like if I'm doing the cleaning the kitchen or something like that, that's that's an awesome time to listen to, to a book on tape or a podcast or something. Like I, I got a silly question for you, Julie. I know you go out for runs every so often, right? And and I, I assume you're listening to all the birds. Right. Do you make an e-bird list of your runs when you go or do you just sort of, you know, or if you do that kind of thing anyways, I don't even know, but. I have this little metal notebook that I can keep in my pocket that keeps the paper dry and, uh, and it's tiny and I have a tiny little pen and I make these meaningless written handwritten lists of birds every day <laughs> that I go out. And I say meaningless because I've got, I've got like sheaves of them like clipped together with clothespins and I don't know what I'm ever going to do with them. I do eBird, you know, if it, if it's, if I'm going somewhere that matters, but um, I haven't really made the transition to just being on my phone and e-birding all the time because I find it oh, right. too distracting. I'd rather be looking up than looking down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting how uh, I, I've often thought to, like, I will 
make a little e-bird list after I come home from my run, but then I don't know what to call it because you're not really birding, yet yeah. you are, you're actually hearing a lot of stuff, but it's probably not equivalent to true birding. You right. Know, it's not like incidental. It's not an incidental right. list, but it's not right. necessarily, it's sort of between. Yeah. Know. So they should, yeah, I'm well, argue they should get a running list, running protocol. Yeah, yes. like a, yeah. a half-assing it list, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. That's right. Well, kind of I'm like, kind of like <laughs> my dedicated running binoculars are these pathetically battered Swarovski companions. These little things that that I have um, rigged up with like Sculpey and rubber bands, you know, so that they stay the optical inter pupillary distance stays exactly the same right amount apart, and a really long strap so I can wear them bandolier style. And, you know, that's analogous, I would say, you know, to that's not really bird watching through great, you know, binocs, but it's, yeah. it gets you there, you know? Right. You've, you've got what you need. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, 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 the place there um, called Indigo Hill, right? Are, are you hearing some, uh, some indigo buntings? What about other birds? Uh, what sounds... Are, are dominating the landscape there these days when you're out listening? Well, it's a, uh, it's really interesting because I keep, you know, I keep these arrival lists. Uh, I keep these on my computer and um, it's, it's strange. It's like I've been waiting all season to hear the common yellowthroat that breeds here. And it got here yesterday, May 30th. Hmm. Wow. Um, and wow. the prairie warbler sang for the first time on May 30th, which has never happened before there. They've bred here every year that I can remember. So there's some odd stuff afoot. I don't know if it has anything to do with the bulldozing. <laughs> it might. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be clear, I've been bulldozing exotics, invasive exotics like uh, autumn olive, uh, Japanese honeysuckle, and multiflora rose. No, and big while I realize that those hold some value for some birds, uh, namely cardinals, um, you know, they have to go. They absolutely have to go. So there has been a bit of habitat rearrangement, I would say. Mm -hmm. So that could explain why some of my breeders aren't here. But um, in the woods, I've got, it sounds like two pairs of worm-eating warblers. I had a yellow-throated oh, wow. warbler show up yesterday. Um, Cerulean warbler has been singing all spring, but I can't, that's one that it's so important to know if it's actually breeding that I'm not going to say it is until I see real evidence. Um, but Kentucky warbler, um, oven bird is actively nesting in the orchard, black and white warbler, red start, uh, pine warbler is here this summer. Um, the cuckoos just got in yellow builds, uh, blue jays, of course, have found one nest already. And, uh, yeah, it's off to a great start. I mean, I just, I so love cataloging the denizens of this place and just like being involved in their lives. It just, it just, it does it for me. That's that's really cool. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, Julie, you're you're a bird expert. You know, you're a person who's written about all sorts of aspects of bird life, um, rehabilitating birds. Um, you've traveled all over the place looking for birds and so forth. You've been at this a long time. Yeah. And yet you're also, you know, what you know, in the in the sort of lingo, a backyard bird watcher, right? And we often oh, yeah. have this kind of thing in the birding world, we're like the backyard bird watcher, which I am too. I love the backyard looking around and seeing what's going on. Sure. Is sort of lower. It's a lower tier. Like 
like the backyard, like there's nothing impressive that happens in the backyard. It's sort of what I'm thinking. A lot of birders think, you know, you got to go mm-hmm. chase rarities. You have to go do this. You have to go to Alaska, which are all great things, actually. I mean, I, I want to do it all. How do you kind of feel about that dichotomy, distinction, reality, or what, it, you know, how do you see birding? Do you ever see that, that deal? What if somebody says, oh boy, you know, I backyard bird watching, that's just for amateurs. What do you say to all that? Well, I feel very entitled and and sort of like an idiot for saying this, but if you have a backyard like mine, backyard bird watching is pretty damn awesome. Like I've got <laughs> if you got cerulean warblers, and, yeah. exactly. I've got Acadian flycatchers singing on the edge of my yard in the evening, like doing a night song. I've got mm. blue-winged warblers, two pairs countersinging across the yard. So it's not really fair to ask me that question because I'm not talking about a postage stamp here. You know, I've got, got lots of habitat and I've got birds that just feed my soul. Um, I do think that there is, you know, there is a, a sort of, um, well, if you don't chase birds, if you don't get on a plane to go see birds, you're not really a birder, but um, I would so much rather uh, catalog what is here and be deeply involved with them and intimate with them than go see a vagrant. It just, it just like chasing vagrants just doesn't compute to me because I'm so, I'm just boiling my own little kettle right here. And, uh, and I learned so much this way, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I just getting to know individual birds. So sort of my, I I like to dive deep right where I am. I, I, I like to grow where I'm planted. I think we've talked on the podcast some before. If you say like intense birding, the first thing I think most people think of is going out and doing a bunch of listing or chasing or trying to see as many species. But there's so much to be said for the intensity of birding one spot just day after day. You're just putting in all those hours and seeing what's actually happening to individual birds or in the, in a tree over time or, you know, there's so many different ways to look at it. And yeah, I, I think that is just more and more appealing to me to intensely bird in one spot and, and really see the full picture of what's happening there rather than just blazing a trail through as far as you can get. Well, don't you think it's also kind of like the whole British concept of patch birding and where, you know, these Mm -hmm. amazing observations can come out of one spot visited again and again and again. And um, when you tie photography in with that and you take photos of the same scene again and again, and you get a sense of the phenology of the place um, it's a pretty powerful thing. And I, I just, I love it. And I'm, I'm glad that I, my temperament suits quarantine. <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> it's, it's also, yeah, there's also like the, the, the patch, uh, sort of type birding, but there's also the, the Alexander Scutch kind of, uh, um, way to sort of see the world who, you know, Scutch was a, a person who was, living in Costa Rica and he would go and he had some land and he would go around the back and catalog what was nesting, what was happening and put it all down on books. And it's still some of the most amazing writing on tropical biology, yet it was basically his backyard. He had an awesome backyard <laughs> like Julie does, but it's, that's also the, the, the whole idea of, of cataloging long-term and knowing things because you've seen them before the year before and the year before that it's this superpower to that. It's like, 
I wish, you know, we all did a little bit more of that, even, even part-time, you know, as a birders go, okay, I, I visit my patch, even if it's not your backyard once a month, because I do that to see what's going on. You know, it's a, it's a great yeah. way to, to learn. It's really yeah. interesting that you invoked Scotch because he was the writer I connected to most deeply with when I was in college and I was trying to learn as much as I could about oh, wow. tropical birds. Scotch was the guy. And the only thing that I didn't like about his writings was the way he killed snakes. I was like, oh. yeah, that's right. <laughs> Cause I'm a, I love snakes. Um, but Scotch, Scotch would, would not tolerate them around his place. I get it, you know? Um, but man, Scotch's writings about mannequins and cotingas and, and just ordinary, you know, yard birds in the tropics and, and visiting his farm was, was a high point for me after he died, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Scotch right. was, a, Scotch was a light for me and still is. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, you're like our Scotch. Here. That's right. You're the Ohio Scotch. <laughs> the Ohio Scotch of Ohio. Seldom <laughs> <Yelled and> seen. Sitting <laughs> around in my gray clothing. <laughs> but the non, non, non-snake killing Scotch. Yeah. yeah. And you've got snakes there too. I know. I've seen some pictures. You get, you get some copperheads around there, right? You know, I, I was laughing at myself yesterday because there's this crack that the copperheads like to sleep in all day and um, they aren't up yet. So I took that liberty to clean out the crack in the patio, which was full of old sycamore leaves and twigs and stuff. And I was like, well, they're not going to like to lie on this stuff. I got to get it down to the nice gravel. So I was reaching in there and pulling out the leaves and just hoping there wasn't a copperhead in there. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But you got to clean the snake crack. You know, that's part of the spring preparation. (laughs) Making the bed, making the beds for the, for the copperheads. That's pretty, that's pretty solid. Yeah. I may pour a little sand in there just to make it nicer because there's something so great about being able to have a place where you can guarantee lock on a copperhead. And, uh, you know, I've had people say, Hey, I've never seen one. Can I come to your house and see it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll show you your life copperhead. Whippoorwill too, you know? Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So Julie, once you have, bulldozed this multiflora rose and this this insidious japanese honeysuckle uh what's what's going to go in there what what have you got uh, on tap for for this space um well it, what i've done is I've, I've kind of done the perimeter of of part of the property uh where there were just hedges of this stuff and i don't have to do anything all the stuff that was in the soil bank comes up and mm. like I've got milkweed coming up in the woods right now. Oh, wow. Like going, oh, light, air. Oh, this used to be mm. a field. And I think to myself, how long have those roots been waiting beneath wow. that soil, beneath those smothering hedges? And uh, I have things like ragged fringed orchid coming up. I have perfoliate bellwort for the first time on the place. Um uh, golden ragwort. It's, it's incredible what is waiting in the soil bank. But along with hmm. the, the, the clearing and the bulldozing comes a great responsibility to keep the multiflora from coming right back in. And so next spring, I will go and spot spray the tussocks of multiflora that are, you know, coming back from the roots that didn't get uh, grubbed out. So I don't have to plant anything. All the cool stuff is still there. It's just been waiting to be released. 
That's that's cool. Yeah, they I've you know, I, I meant I, before we were recording, I mentioned I've I've been a city boy a long time, kind of moved out to an area where I actually have a, um, some space to do some plants finally and just put in some milkweed. And, and I actually and purchased some some goldenrod um and put in <laughs> and some. put in I, I know some some of my friends well the funny thing is like i put in this I, like i'm envisioning this wall of goldenrod you know i just want to like i love goldenrod always have loved goldenrod you know when it goes to goes to see the goldfinches love it if you're lucky enough to get a big finch ear you know the red poles will come in and and they'll get after the seeds and stuff too and i just have such good memories of 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 finches at goldenrod and all the pollinators, you know, love it too. So I went and bought some goldenrod, put in like a nice bunch of plants. And then I was like kind of looking around the yard the other day and I was like, oh man, there's a whole bunch of goldenrod just shooting up here in this corner of the yard. And uh, so it's, I think it's coming. I'm going to have, I'm going to have that wall of goldenrod, just not quite where I thought it, but, uh, but yeah. still it's, it's been so satisfying uh, to get into this. I, it's like I'm obsessed with it now. I just go out and stare at my plants all the time. I know Molly, you've been doing a bunch of this too. <laughs> yeah, I well, I think I'm in the same boat as Julie. I'm trying to maintain the wall of goldenrod that we have now. So we have 42 acres, um, and about almost half of that is field, and it's kind of solid goldenrod now. It hasn't really yeah. been maintained. It's old strip mine, um, and there's tons of it. So. The goal that we're trying to hit is to have blooms more throughout the entire summer instead of just the late stuff that will be coming up with the goldenrod, too. Um, so we're starting to experiment with mowing and whatnot a little bit. We're getting ready to start building a house, too. So we're not doing a ton to disrupt the field until the machinery that's through um, is is out because that brings in a lot of invasives and that type of thing, too, which we don't have a lot of. We've had... Um, we have some autumn olive and some multiflora rose, but it's really been pretty easy to maintain. We've barely had to use the chainsaw on it, which is really nice. So we want to keep that. So we're trying to be patient about uh, disrupting too much until we have all that through. But yeah, it's exciting to to see what our potential is in the field. And we've been doing a lot of soil testing and um, we have a wetland area that's that's very wet. That's really fun to dream up what we're going to do with that. Um but what we've really had to wrap our head around with is that it it does require active maintenance to do this. And we had to really think, okay, this isn't what was naturally here. Um, it's been, I don't know, 40 years or so since this was stripped in mind. But there there are rocks that are like 15 feet tall in our field. So oh, we wow. know how much of the ground was taken out. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> they're, wow. they're nuts. Um, they have trees growing on top of them. We've got like cherry tree patches on these huge boulders that are like many times bigger than our cars um but that was really tough to think at first and not just taking out the invasives but thinking through uh okay this we might need to take out some of this that's here even though goldenrod is good we, we need more than just the goldenrod and you know kind of figuring out what to do with our springs that are there and whatnot so that was a little bit of a, a hump to get over because it is hard to think about cutting down a tree. Um, but we we're, we're past that. And I think now the possibilities are starting to open up and that's been fun. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the pretty cool things um, I've had some prairie experts come out here and look uh, at the place uh, early on Ohio Prairie nursery, a guy named Bob Karras came out here and he said, you know, you should really start completely over because this is all goldenrod. And I was like, 
what's wrong with goldenrod? Wait a minute. Yeah. What, what? Um, you know, people who deal in prairie and prairie seed see goldenrod as a, as a thug, as mm. something that one doesn't plant, that it just, it just comes in and takes over. And the, the interesting workaround that I've got is I have this, um, I make these eagle's nests of cut brush. I call them eagle's nests. And you remember the, the mythical bird, the rock, R-O-K. Uh, mine are actually rock nests. They're, they're big enough <laughs> to pick up an elephant. Um, so these <laughs> giant, giant wads of brush and tree stumps and things like that. When I burn those, I get a giant divot of completely sterile soil with nothing in it. And that is awesome. Because that's when you take your $600 worth of prairie seed and you throw that stuff down and you get to see stuff come up unchallenged by goldenrod and other, you know, natives that are going to cover it over. And that's fascinating. I have loved yeah. that. So I have a patch, a, an ovoid patch of, of just straight New England aster and showy goldenrod, which is a non-invasive goldenrod um, and gray-headed coneflower coming up and I got to say, it makes me want to just burn the whole thing down and start over <laughs> when I see how good that is. So my answer to that is I just keep making these huge brush piles. And then when I burn them, I get to plant. So that's that's lots of fun. That's awesome. It's funny. how I do think like I remember seeing a presentation by some of the folks at American Bird Conservancy years ago. They were talking about golden winged warbler conservation and how difficult it was to convince um, birders and, and supporters that they actually needed to cut down trees for conservation at times. Like, obviously, you know, you don't want to go leveling forest, but um, at times, like one of the best things you can do, and I see that around here, we have such um, big chunks of, I shouldn't say big chunks, but relative to, to this area, there's some big chunks of forest that where you do get tree gaps and little meadows and um, those can be such good areas for increasing diversity and, and kind of breaking up what is otherwise sort of a, uh, I don't want to say a monoculture cause there's so many humans around in there, but you know, there's, there's just a lot of woodland and not necessarily a lot of tree gaps and meadows. And, um, and yeah, it's just funny, like, in order the ones that we do have require maintenance, uh, like you're talking about and, People, people loved seeing them grow and grow and grow. And then, you know, people come in to maintain them, cut down trees, you know, uh, burn. And and people are like, oh, my gosh, what happened here? This is a disaster. And you're like, no, this is actually really good. This is this is what we want. You know, we need we need more yeah. space for these native plants to grow. But you wonder, um, no, like the, if in the past, right, in the East, the there are some signs that it, the East was a lot more patchy than people think. Mm -hmm. For example, brown-headed cowbirds. It's always, there's always a story that the brown-headed cowbirds moved from the mid-section of the, the U.S. out towards the East. There's actually an Eastern subspecies of brown-headed cowbird. It, they've always been there, mm -hmm. but they were probably in these little patches that were created by fire, maybe by tornadoes. Or perhaps they were actually maintained by big herds of elk, you know, I mean, the, you know, back in those days, you know, and you think we, we have such a warped idea in some cases of what things, what Should reverting be. to the natural actually means. And it's probably a lot more complicated and patchy 
and mosaic-y than just like, look at this pristine, huge old forest, you know? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, getting back to the golden ring warbler, you know, the, I've been working the uh, new river uh, birding and nature festival for 20 years. And um, we know there that unless you have a clear cut, you don't have golden wing warblers and clear cutting has really become a rather rare thing because selective cutting is what everybody does now, at least on the agricultural land around here. Um, so, so it's really interesting to come into a recent clear cut and it's just growing up to saplings and you hear that song and you're like, Mm. Oh, I get it. But you know, there are other forest birds like Kentucky warbler that also depend on clear cuts or heavy selective cuts to even hang in there because they need younger growth than, uh, than a mature forest. So uh, hooded warbler, I would submit, is also somewhat uh, dependent on forestry for its presence in the Appalachian woodlands. And so I think a lot of people don't have a full understanding of just how much anthropogenic changes in the landscape mean to species of birds that they hold dear. Yeah. And that's not to mention the impact that white-tailed deer have on changing the successional growth that's coming after that. And it's really easy to look at thinning or selective cutting and think that you're taking out the big trees and leaving space for the younger trees to come up. But what's happened in practice since that's been used in the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years is that it's it's not younger trees that are coming up because things like deer are not allowing the understory to develop. It's the weaker trees of the same species. So you're ending up with less healthy forests that don't have those levels of understory that a forest would have had here 200 years ago. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not even talk about the fact that white-tailed deer eat eggs and nestlings. <laughs> Uh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's complicated uh, really complicated and uh you know i think um there is the other there are people i've uh, you know talked to who have said you know we shouldn't manage the land at all it's like let it let nature take its course and well you know uh, that kind of doesn't work in today's world at this mm-hmm. point what you manage and how you manage it and that's you know the, the the science behind it that's really worth discussing but i don't think no management um at least where we live where there's a lot of people you know yeah i don't think that's that's uh works. no we, we've meddled with the landscape so much to this point that if we don't meddle a little bit more then we'll lose a lot more than we've already lost yeah so. i'm yeah. I'm also jealous at the size of your backyards. Like I have this little postage stamp backyard. I'd have to make it to sound impressive. I'd have to like count it up in like milli hectares or something. You know, to, <laughs> to, 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 but you know, the bird, the bird list has been good. of steps has gone through here yet. You know, it's like oh, acre, you know, yeah. I, I don't even point. I know you grow potatoes there, Alvaro. I, I, oh, that, that I can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's parts of that that is, it's so appealing to, think like you can have an impact on a huge percentage of your property yeah really that's, that's quickly right. and like and see those kinds of like quick results oh, but, yeah, yeah yeah i i kind of have been thinking about like does it actually feel easier to maintain 40 acres or half an acre because if there's 40 acres if there's you know a big chunk of it that we're not doing anything with right now it, it feels okay <laughs> but if you have like a small property then it seems like, I don't know. I mean, I've had a 
small. I had a half an acre spot before and that kind of felt like more work because I felt like I had to touch every inch of it and just keep up with it a lot more. That's kind of where I'm at. And I've got even less than that. And I'm, and I'm, but I'm just like, you know, I'm inspecting every little corner of it and I'm thinking about what I'm going to get rid of because to make room for this plant or this tree that I want. And, and yeah, that's, uh, I I don't know. I'm kind of focused small scale at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of trying a lot of different things in little patches and you don't quite have that liberty. (laughs) You have to put all your eggs in at least closer to one basket couple baskets yeah yeah well one thing we wanted to uh to touch on here for certain uh julie is bwd magazine which is back and we're really excited at all of us who have a history with the magazine and are big fans uh, maybe you want to profile for folks where that's at what's coming up Oh my gosh. I, when you talk about it, I feel like you're talking about my firstborn, you know, it's just been such an emotional uh, ride <laughs> to revive the magazine and to be involved in this headlong race to get a July, August issue out to people. Um, we have, I just finished looking at the PDFs and they are so beautiful that it was like Christmas morning opening each one. Mm. Uh, We have a a lovely designer who works for Airstream Life uh, for Rich Lure, the publisher of Airstream Life. And Rich is now our, one of our co-publishers for BWD magazine. And uh, she is a very gifted person. So seeing these layouts and seeing since we've gone full size, the photos given their due, uh, and reproduce so that you can really, really see how crisp and sharp they are is just, it's just really, really makes me very, very happy. So I can't wait for that first issue to come out. I can't wait for people to get it in their hands and say, Oh my gosh, I'm going to send this to my aunt Sally. She would love this, you know, because I think that, I think that what we're trying to do is build subscribership um, and concentrate solely on the magazine, none of the subsidiary side products, no travel company, you know, no, um, uh, booklets, no, uh, you know, watching backyard birds every other month. It's just, we're just narrowing it down to what really matters. And that's the magazine Mm -hmm. and putting all of our effort into that. So, uh, it's been, it's been really amazing. Uh, A ton of work, absolute ton of work. Uh, the transition was rocky. Um, <laughs> getting the subscriber database was quite an adventure in gymnastics, uh, to <laughs> get it out of the ancient quick fill, um, program that it was in, uh, and get it into a form that could be exported and used. And that was Rich's Rich attacked that like a pit bull mm. and, uh, did not stop shaking it until he had it wrestled to the ground. So I'm just very, very thankful and thrilled to work with Jessica Vaughn, who is our editor. Yeah, she's fantastic. She is so lovely and so, so perceptive and so sensitive and also decisive. And that's those are some wonderful qualities to bring together in a person. And uh, being able to work with her as an advising editor and say, well, you know, here's how we used to do it. I don't know what you think. And she's like, well, what if we do it this way? You know, so uh, <laughs> it's just been great. I'm, I'm just... I'm just bubbling over about it. 
And of course we have Alvaro going to contribute some <laughs> stories to us and, mm-hmm. and uh, whatever he yeah. feels like writing. We can't wait. We're going to want to hear from all of you guys. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to say like to, to give people some background as I've sort of seen some of that transition or sort of been involved in some of the discussions, like, you know, BWD is what used to be called Birdwatcher's Digest, right? And everybody called it BWD. So now it's becoming officially BWD. That is the mm-hmm. name, right? It's not just a short form. But also, I think if you any of you saw the old magazine, it was this little, little, you know, kind of almost like Reader's Digest, if you ever saw that, small, small photos. So now it's full size. And that's a whole, you know, really amazing um, step to me because so much of uh, how things have progressed in the birding world to me have been visual, right? I mean, I'm the the stories, the written word is still going to be the the key to BWD articles. It always it, it always was. It was a magazine you could read cover to cover, unlike many other bird related things. But now there'll be photographs that you can really sort of enjoy and kind of savor, check out the yeah. visual, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially and, for us busy people, we just you know look at the pictures you know. and plenty of artwork <laughs> too. I imagine, yes, Julie. Yeah. Well, on the cover for sure. Um, right for right mm-hmm. now, we have um, all photos on the inside. But mm-hmm. uh, one of my tasks that I'm charged with is sourcing the cover art, and that's a challenge that I'm leaping into because when I really sat down and started writing down the contacts I have in the bird art world, um, they're pretty extensive, pretty far reaching cover a lot of different styles. Um, and my goal is to have absolute, the top drawer, excellent bird artists on our covers. Uh, just, um, I am an, a freak for accuracy. I'm a freak for true, true to lifeness. And, uh, so we're going to go in that direction where the birds will look like the birds and, uh, and they're going to be true. And I just can't wait. Uh, the September, October cover is going to be fabulous and I'm not going to give it away, but I'm Ooh. so excited about this young artist. <laughs> so yeah. And, and I'm also, um, I'm leaning on people, uh, that I know who I sense can write, but may not have been published. You know, when you read someone's Instagram post and it's very well put together and they're really touching on some deep things, I think, huh, let's ask for an article from that person. So that's been a lot of fun too, um, you know, smoking out people who are maybe great photographers who also have have a, a writing gift. Um, finding voices. Artists. Yeah, finding those voices, bringing them out, bringing them along. It feels like paying something forward, you know, um, when people were kind to me when I was coming up and saying, hey, you know, you can really write, you know, that meant a lot to me. And uh, to mm-hmm. be able to turn around and do that for people is um, it's making my heart grow another room. It's really great. Mm. I think, I think my, if I remember right, I think my first published essay was in Birdwatcher's Digest and, and it was um, Bill uh, Thompson found it. And, and uh, I, well, I, 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 he, he found something else I wrote and we were talking a little bit and I, I wrote this thing and I sent it to him and he's like, yeah, we'll run with this. And it was, I called it campaign for the seagull. And it was, and it was a, at the time they were talking about splitting American herring gull from the other herring gulls, um, around the world. And I said, we need to rename 
the herring gull the seagull so that now when people <laughs> point to this herring gull and they say it's a seagull, they'll be right a pretty good chunk of the time. Uh, you know, so, I'm on board with that. We just had the seagull. <laughs> so, yeah. I, mean, I started it, off it, saying, give the people what they want. And then I kind of went right. there. Yeah. yeah, it's like Stellar's J. Let's just change the spelling right away, right? Yeah, so it's like a Stellar J with an A rather than an E. To make That's one of the happy. most frequent errors that I see is people all spell it with an A. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it is a stellar bird. It right. is. There we go. Give people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that That's article. Cool. For the content of the magazine, are the columns staying mostly the same as they were before? Are you absorbing any of the watching backyard birds content into upcoming BWD issues? We have really kept a lot of, um, of the columnists, uh, most of them. And that's been really wonderful to have them all say, yeah, I'm in, you know, and that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> and I was never really involved in coming up with the articles. That was always our wonderful editor, Don Hewitt, was somehow magically coming up with all this content for each issue. And basically what I think she was doing in large part is, is winnowing through the stuff that was sent in to us just unsolicited. And that would pile up in literally in bins, and she would have these, you know, days at a time where she would just go through them and pull out what was suitable for publication. We're hoping to go a little bit more in the direction of assigning and of seeking out writers that we know are competent and can do a great job and saying, hey, how about you attack this issue? So it's a whole different kind of way to look at it. Rather than sort of relying on stuff falling on us from above, we're going to try and root it out ourselves. As far as the content for backyard watching backyard birds, much of that was repurposed. Um, much of that was recycled, and um, so we're not we're not really using using content from there. Um, that was something that was a subsidiary publication. It was put out in the months that Birdwatchers Digest was being a bi monthly was not produced. Um, so I, I think that we do have our we're going to have a strong backyard section in the magazine. So I think that's where that content will come in. Nice. I, I want to point out, we're, we'll put this in the, the notes, but it's bwdmagazine.com and you can subscribe either print or digital. So you can, you know, if you think you have too much paper in the house, you can, you can get the digital version, which I'm sure is going to look great on the screen as well. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think if I think if you go to birdwatchersdigest.com, it will automatically redirect you to the new website. Um, one thing that we were Jessica especially was adamant about was that we not lose the insanely good library of articles, PDFs, you know, tips, backyard stuff, um, ID stuff that lived on the birdwatchersdigest.com website. So we're slowly migrating that to bwd.com. We're cleaning it up. We're representing it, and uh, it it is it will remain the amazingly valuable resource that it that it has always been. No, that's great because that is there was an ocean of material there, and oh, it'll be. It, I mean, it must be it'd be a sizable task to just get even a chunk of it over. But that's great to to hear that yes. uh, a big big bunch will be maintained that's in fantastic. the tens of thousands of of you know articles, and I mean it's it's a huge huge archive 
um, and a valuable one. I think a lot yeah. of people use it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, that's great. I can't wait to see the first issue and uh, am really, really excited to see the new format as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's going to be really cool. You guys got a great I team. Should- and I, we, you were talking about Dawn, bef- uh, mentioned Dawn Hewitt and, and, and how she is so good at rooting out stuff uh, and good material. And I, it just r- reminded me of one of the burning events we worked on together. I can't remember which one it was, but she kept being like, all right, George, let's go. Come on. Let's get moving here. We got to get going. Got to get going. You know, there's like stuff to do here. <laughs> and so I started calling her Hustlin' Hewitt, which, uh, <laughs> which, uh, which Jessica really liked. And, uh, and yeah, I started calling her Hustlin' Hewitt. I was like, all right, Hustlin' oh, Hewitt wants man. us to go. We better, we better get moving. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is, she is a, a powerhouse of positivity, just such a lovely person. And she's also an advising editor uh, for the publication. Uh, she didn't let any grass grow under her feet when BWD folded. She, she had immediately three other job offers. So off she went. Always um, hustling. Always hustling. Yes. Yes. I should also say that if your subscription to Birdwatcher's Digest was active when the magazine folded in December, 2021, <clears throat> we will honor that for up to six issues. Uh, so all you have to do is go to bwdmagazine.com to check the status of your current subscription, see how many issues you are owed, and uh, you should automatically receive one uh, in July, August, and uh, you'll be you'll be off and running. No, oh, that's great. That's super. Yeah, that's super. I mean, I'm sure with the quality of of you know what you're doing, I just imagine that you'll have no problem also getting you know, the top of the line advertisers going in there and, you know, showing their wear. So, you know, hint, hint advertisers. <laughs> yes, we definitely need, we need those plugs. We need, uh, we need ads. And uh, it was interesting, you know, soliciting ads for this first issue because it was kind of like, wait a minute, I thought you, I thought you folded, you know? So it's kind of like, we were just, no, 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 we're not dead yet. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a thing. You know, Julie, since you've been involved with uh, people who read BWD for for a long time, do you think that the readership has changed at all? Like we often talk on this podcast about how birding has changed technology and other things and, you know, the ability to do X, Y, Z. What do you think about like BWD as like your clientele? Have they become a different group of people today than they were back 30 years ago, 20 years ago? I, I think that part of the evolution of the magazine and the new chapter is that we are actually forcing people to become more um, computer literate. Uh, you know, we actually can't afford to staff people to answer handwritten letters and to take mm-hmm. phone calls and, um, and, you know, process checks, all those things that, you know, I still write checks for everything. You know, I'm, I'm certainly in that sort of demographic that says, well, I'd rather send a paper check, you know, that's because I don't trust that (laughs) auto pay stuff, you know, so I get that. I really, really do. But, you know, if we're going to make a go of this, we've got to streamline so that, so that we don't get bins and bins and bins of paper mail to go through because we don't have the staff to do that. We are down to a skeleton crew 
and we are putting out a magazine and that's it. We aren't going to be, you know, dealing in a lot of paper. So, so I think that, that there is capability out there in a lot of people who say they don't do email or they don't go online. You know, if you want the magazine, you're going to have to, if you want to subscribe, you're going to have to go to this website. And, uh, um, yeah, so I would say that, that we're going to see now, you know, what, uh, what has changed and who is able Mm -hmm. to change with us. Um, uh, I think that it will be more people than we think uh, will well, enthusiastically get on board with us in the new streamlined version. We've kind of discussed that overall, even though it might still be, it might still be sort of, there, there's not that many teenage birders and super young birders. The actual average age of the birding community has probably gone down. So we're, we're a slightly younger crowd than 20 years ago as, as a, and that may mean, you know, people will actually welcome the fact that, you know, that you, you you know, sort of what you're you're doing. Um, of course, there's there's always with everything one does, you know, there's always going to be some people are happy with it and some people are not. But I think um, on the whole, uh, the traje- you know, I think I think that the crowd is probably ready. And uh, yeah, good luck to you. Yeah. We'll be helping and writing and doing whatever we can. We want to hear from you guys. Please submit. Yeah. (laughs) If you have an article idea that you'd like to pitch, we'd love to hear from you. And, um, you know, we were talking about uh, getting some stories, tales from the trail, you know, from guides who have some stories from from guiding people in far-flung places. I I just love reading stuff like that. And I love listening to stories like that. And um, I would love to get sort of a more of an international flavor to the magazine, you know, uh, we do a feature called far afield, which, you know, maybe in the States or it may be elsewhere, but it would be so cool to just kind of keep reminding our readers that there's this whole world of crazy birds like pittas and, you know, um, Watson's out there that, that they should be thinking about and maybe going to see. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, one other thing, I, I, we're all dog people here on this call, all of us. <laughs> we all have dogs. And so we, you know, Julie, we follow the exploits of Curtis with, uh, you know, with not a little interest. Um, and one thing I wanted to ask your advice about, because I see an impending event on my horizon which is that under our back porch, uh, there is a skunk who likes to make periodic um, pilgrimages into into this hole that he's dug. And he'd been gone since February, hadn't, hadn't had no sign of him, just returned the other day. And judging from the uh, reckless abandon with which my dog Sully <laughs> pursues squirrels, I am quite terrified to think what might happen if he and this skunk were to meet up. From what this, I recall, this is actually highly predictable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, from what I recall, Curtis is rather expert at getting sprayed. Four times. I've had him for I've had him for three years, and he has gotten sprayed four times. Wow! And that is not because he is stupid. He's actually incredibly smart, says his mom. 
But he is convinced that if he just gets the right grip on a skunk, that it's not going to happen. <laughs> so oh, he's trying like to improve his like craft. To, uh, yeah, he's just yeah. trying to improve his craft. And uh, But the funny thing that happened with Curtis and skunks is I had this um, this skunk with what I am pretty sure was a broken pelvis show mm. up on the place. Could barely walk, just like mm. pathetic. And I, of course, fell in love with it. And I named it Sugar Bean, and I made it a house, which it used. Hmm. I was going to try to trap it, and I filled a cat carrier with straw, and it went in there and fell asleep with the door open. And I was like, oh, man. So I I made it uh, – I took an old mailbox, and I filled it with straw. And before long, I was putting dishes of food right in front of its little face and wow. know, figured out what preference. But the interesting thing is, is that I had this – skunk hating cur right there. And this skunk was right in my yard. And he grasped immediately that while he may go after skunks in the woods, that this was my beloved skunk. So he never got sprayed. By he was like, I'm not going to mess with that skunk because there I'm will not be mess hell with to pay. Skunk. Right. Yeah. Right. And I thought naively that that would apply to all skunks. It did not. It did not. He went on to get sprayed twice more. <laughs> other wild skunks. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I can give you my recipe for the um, hydrogen peroxide. Okay, um, that's what I was curious about. And yeah. baking soda paste that you put on. Ah, uh, so the tomato sauce thing. Tomato juice is no, yeah, no. We're we right, right on. When when you're frantic, just Google skunk recipe and it will come right up. You know, okay. it's not, nothing proprietary here. But um, the thing is to get that oxidizing stuff on them. But if you want to hear me cuss a blue streak, you just watch this dog come walking in with rubbing his face on the grass. And I'm <laughs> oh, because it's literally weeks and months of that smell in your house. Oh, so wow. Be careful, George. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the reason I, fi the way I figured out that the skunk was back was because, you know, I, I, you know, I get up at all kinds of hours for various reasons and I, I forget what I got up for, but I was kind of roaming around the house and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm, I'm smelling something. And, and I like looked out the window where the old skunk hole was and I was like, oh man, he redug his hole. And, um, Ugh. so yeah. Um, cause, and Sully's got pretty thick fur he's a golden and um so i feel like it, it could be it could be a problem you know yeah. so, what about relocating the skunk any idea of doing that your neighbor <laughs> yeah it's a nice greeting to the neighbors yeah exactly yeah, he, yeah he already something. started with the bad parking job the first day so <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe like you just gotta pick one to that and that's just where all yeah it all goes there oh, man. can you imagine yeah yeah, I parked in for three days back in that snowstorm. And here, by the way, I brought you a skunk here a couple months later. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Name's George, by the way. Yeah. Let um, me know when it happens, George. Yeah, I will do. I will do. Because I, I feel like when. it's an, it's an, yeah, exactly. It's an, an inevitability at this point. It I, is. I think, is. you know, we have all these listeners probably in Africa right now going like, you should you know, how about spitting cobras? Now we're talking, you know, danger kind of thing, you know, like, you know, we're worried about skunks. It stinks a little, you know. But, stinks but, a little? I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. 
I don't have skunks in this yard yet. We've seen them once in 20 years. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They're around here. Yeah. yeah. That, that is, that's one smell that can wake me up out of a deep sleep. You know, I'm just like, I'm so conditioned to like associating it with trouble that my brain goes, yay, yay, yay. When I, alarm, when alarm. I smell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Skunks are cool though. Oh, they're, they're such great insane. animals. Yeah. Oh, love them. Love Mustelids in general. Yeah. Yeah. I just got my first skunk skull. I'm really excited about that. It's got a great skull. Mm. Got this tubular nose that looks like it belongs on a seal. <laughs> All right. I got the nose <laughs> with those things. They they really have the olfactory things going on. <clears throat> wow. You'd think they wouldn't be able to smell after all that, you know, but. Yeah, you know, so I know. They have I know. like shut off the smell, you know. Just, yeah, being a hard of smelling, you know, skunk, could you'd think that could be a, a big advantage, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, George, when you smelled the skunk the other day, where you're like, oh, wow, COVID is done, you know, yeah. I smell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I'm healthy again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, uh, we're coming up on our hour here, guys. Before Boy, we we scoot, yeah, I mean we, we're moving and shaking here. Hustling Don would be would be proud of us. Um, <laughs> the uh, I did want to ask Julie um, what projects you got coming up. I know one thing we wanted to touch on too was your COVID project uh, oh, that yeah, I know yeah, is yeah. I know you've been working on. Maybe tell folks about yeah. that. The, uh, the, the, I, I really value, you know, having to stay home and, and focus on making this a better place. And I, I know that, that the whole plague thing has completely changed my life. And I'm probably not going to be able to clearly see in the ways, the ways this has happened for a while. But one thing I do know is that, is that I really bore down on, um, if I got to stay here, I'm going to make this the greatest place possible, the, the most fabulous place to quarantine. So I started working on in uh, midsummer last 2021 20, uh, on inventing the perfect bird bath because nothing on the market uh, was what I wanted. And I had this beautiful product called the Magnificent Bird Spa with an eight gallon reservoir and a big dish and a bubbler in the middle that kind of, you know, recirculated this eight gallons of water. And that was produced years and years ago by a couple um, lovely people. The husband died suddenly. Uh, the wife couldn't quite, you know, handle continuing the production of the thing. So it went out of production and I still get, uh, you know, emails from people saying, where did you get that fabulous bird bath? I wanted to create something like that, but something much simpler that, uh, that anybody could make. And so I invented this thing that I call the warbler fall, like a waterfall, but with warblers. And, um, <laughs> it is a bird bath that brings in forest birds like tanagers, warblers, even I've had a ruby crowned kinglet bathe in it, which is oh, kind of wow. crazy. My bath list for the spa and everything is now in around 74 species of birds that have actually bathed in it over the years I've had it. But this thing is really coming up on it um, because it appeals to smaller birds. Um, And so what I did was I 
I made this thing and I kept perfecting it and changing the components and the configuration. And I didn't post about it anywhere. I didn't say a word about it because I kind of had a feeling that it was big. And um, when I finally did write it up, I, I started to write this article for BWD on how to how to build it and how to make it. And I stopped myself. I said, no, 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 it's, it's, this is too good. So what I wound up doing was my first instructional video. It's a 17 minute <laughs> video where I just go into the whole philosophy of this bird bath, why it works so well, why it draws birds out of the woods, like, like iron filings to a magnet. And I made a two minute promotional video, which is actually hilarious because I sound like Bobby Flay. I'm like trying to work all this stuff <laughs> and I'm talking really fast. I probably practiced it 20 times before I had to pitch down to two minutes. Then I, I hired um, a designer to make me a one page website. And uh, that's what I'm, I'm launching that in the new issue of Birdwatcher's Digest, the Warbler Fall. And um, okay, cool. Yeah. And so I've had a couple test market events that have gone really, really well. People love it once they get the plans and the PDF that explains what components you need. And um, I'm just really excited about it because I've never done anything remotely like that before. Um, kind of monetizing my experience and monetizing my understanding of birds and their psychology. And uh, most of all, helping people create this little amazing bird bath for under 60 bucks. So um, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited yeah. about it. You'll have to do like the the ad, like, you know, it's like, how much would you pay for this, you know, warbler fall? $19.99, $29.99, but wait, there's more. You know, and then you offer them some other I'm things. Serious. Right? If, you, if you go to warblerfall.com, you will hear that. You will hear that side of me. I think I start out by saying, Is your bird bath busy hopping with birds? No, I can help. I'm Julie Zickovitz. <laughs> it's really, it's very funny. And I can't listen to it without laughing because it is so not me. But you know, it works. Nice. Well, there is this, I don't know, like this discomfort in a lot of us who have been drawn to birds as a passion, then it becomes kind of your work, you know, and you sort of have to promote. And then it's, it's weird often, but, uh, you know, there's a, having a little discomfort with promotions probably actually fine. And yet we also want people to know this stuff we've learned over time, whether it's something, right. you know, that's actually a product or actually just an article with information, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing we do. But, uh, so, but I can, I can feel your, you know, what, what you're saying when you're sort of doing, I want to see this video now. I'm gonna, we're going to, we're going to put it on. on our, yeah. You definitely need to see it. So yeah. So warblerfall.com, you'll get the whole enchilada, the sales pitch, the little buttons you can press. Yes. I want to buy a warbler fall, you know? So yeah, it's, and just to be clear, I'm not selling the actual product. I have done enough fulfillment to know that I don't want to pack bird baths and send them off and, you know, trek to the UPS office 30 minutes away to take a batch. Um, so I'm, I'm selling the plans that, you know, the video that shows you how and the plans. And uh, that seems to be a, a really comfortable spot for me because, you know, my, my work is all done in the R and D and in the, in the creating the website. And, and now I kind of get to sit back and watch people bite. It's really fun. It's like fishing. It really is. Not fishing yeah. with a pH, but fishing like with an F. Yeah. 
Yeah, we are uh, we are in the market for a water feature here, so I will be keeping a close eye on that. That's cool. that sounds fantastic, especially if you got all. Man, that's that's a heck of a lot of birds coming. So, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Julie, other ways folks uh, can connect with you or or upcoming things you've got you that you want folks to know about. Still not giving a lot of live talks, doing some live talks in the area, but um, I'm I'm playing it pretty cool as far as traveling and festivals and things like that. But um, I post daily on Instagram under my own name and I'm on Facebook, uh, although I'm at my friend limit. So I'm unfortunately having to ignore a lot of friend requests until they change the ceiling again. Um, but yeah, I'd say Instagram is a great way to connect. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to hopefully get my writing cranked back up and push another book out here before too awful long. Sure. Hope so. Sure. Hope so. Excellent. Well, thank you a ton, Julie, for, for doing this. This, uh, we, when we started this, we knew you were a person we absolutely wanted to get on the show. So thanks so much for being part of Lifeless today. Thank you so much. This has been such fun to see you guys and to, and to yak again. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will be back again soon. Thanks to my co-hosts. Thanks to Coa Sport Optics. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk again soon. <laughs>